0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Pulse Podcast. My name is Jeff Frost. I am a third year resident in physiatry at UBC, and I'm also the communications director at the Resident Doctors of British Columbia. Today's podcast is quite a bit different from what we've done in the past because it is our first negotiations update. So, as you may know, we are about to begin contract negotiations with the provincial government between ourselves, that's the Resident Doctors of British Columbia and the government. The whole point of this discussion is to come up with a new collective agreement, which essentially means coming up with a new way that we will be paid as residents. So this is a really big deal. One of the ways we're trying to make sure you as a resident body stays appraised of these negotiations is regular negotiations updates. So the negotiations updates are between myself and whoever is relevant to bring to the table. For our first update, we spoke with Mr. Harry Gray, He is the Executive Director of the Resident Doctors of British Columbia. Harry and I were able to chat together at the Resident Doctors of BC offices. We actually filmed it, and it's up and available on YouTube if that's of interest to you. Today's podcast takes the audio from that video and just puts it in podcast form. So if you've had the chance to watch the video, there really is nothing new in this podcast. We just want to make sure that we reach as many residents as possible, so we're putting this out in as many forms as possible. As you'll hear in the upcoming interview with Harry, negotiations are scheduled to take place in January of 2019. We'll be giving you regular updates throughout the process. Now I say regular, but that doesn't mean regular in time, just regular as we achieve new milestones in the negotiations. So I hope you find this informative, and I hope you find it useful. And with that, I'll pass it off to my interview with Harry. Hello and good evening. How are you doing? I am very
1: well. Thank you for doing this.
0: (laughs) Thank you for having me. So for those of you at home that don't know, my name is Jeff Frost. I'm a third-year resident in physiatry, and I'm also the communications director at the Resident Doctors of BC.
1: And with me today is Mr. Harry Gray. Harry, do you want to introduce yourself? I am Harry Gray, for those of you that have not yet uh, met me in person. I'm the Executive Director of the Resident Doctors of BC. Um, as we record this, I've been here about 18 months now and loving it. So Awesome. Okay, so Harry, today we are here to talk about negotiations. As you
0: may or may not know watching this at home, we are about to enter a cycle where we will renegotiate our collective agreement, which basically means your salary, with the provincial government. It's exciting, but it's high stakes, so we thought it'd be important to have a chat with everyone about what that means.
1: And uh, I think you have something to say about how we came to be here, right Harry? Yes, so we um, this spring we sent out a series of five surveys. The first four um, were surveys from, about, from the membership about what was going well with the collective agreement and how the uh, provisions were being applied in the Rome program um, and then the fifth one uh, was a question around what priorities the residents have uh, in the upcoming round of negotiations uh, and as part of that fifth survey we we had a open text box uh, for people to ask questions and so what we've got today is a whole list of those questions and uh, hopefully I can address them because if the um, people that were putting them, took the time to put them into the writing, ask them. I'm sure there's lots more that uh, have the same question. All right.
0: So if we're here to answer questions, why don't we just go
1: for it? So question number one, what is up for negotiation? So in negotiations, generally, each side brings proposals to the bargaining table. As a result, there can be changes to absolutely any part of the collective agreement. And what gets changed really depends on the priorities that each side both our side and the employer side will bring to the table. Um, There's also gonna be um, uh, the potential that we will add something that's never been there before. So what's up? The whole collective agreement as well as new things that we want to introduce. Okay, and what are the important dates and when am I gonna find out about the results? So the important dates are, uh, we've got negotiations uh, with the uh, dates set aside with uh, the Health Employers Association for uh, early, early to late January. We've got 10 days set aside right now. Um, it's uh, my hope that we can get the negotiations done by then. Um, the collective agreement, as it sits, goes all the way to March 31st, 2019, so we've still got a couple of months buffer in there. Um, once we get the uh, agreement with the employer, uh, one of the things that happens is we then send out uh, the package, the final settlement package, for the membership to vote on. And so that vote will come about, we're hoping at the first part of January, first part of February, end of January, first part of February. Okay, and going into these negotiations, what are our main priorities? So we, uh, in that fifth survey, we put out a request, and uh, there was a very consistent um, um, response to it. There's really three broad things uh, that came through, compensation, expenses and clarity of the collective agreement. To be more specific, the things that people asked for was a salary increase, a call stipend rate increase, uh, CMPA fee funding, exam fee funding, uh, reductions in other costs for residents, so think long-term disability, that type of thing uh, that residents are paying for out of their own pocket, and then finally, language that changes uh, to make the agreement easier to understand and to apply. So those are the six kind of detailed ones, but they all fall under those three broad headings of compensation, expenses, and clarity. Okay. So we
0: know when it's going to happen. We know what we're going for. But most importantly, who is doing the negotiations for us, and what are their qualifications?
1: So we've got a team of uh, seven people. Um, the chief negotiator is Tony Glavin. Tony is a uh, partner at Kosky Glavin Gordon and Tony's been practicing law for almost 25 years. He started in 1994. Uh, he maintains a broad labor law practice representing unions in both the public and private sectors uh, and this, these unions include other health uh, sector unions, the paramedicals. Um, the longshore airline and performers in the film and uh, television industries. Uh, so that's one person. second person is myself. Um, I have a master's degree from Queen's University in labor relations, um, and I've, do- I've negotiated dozens of collective agreements in my life. Uh, third uh, staff person is uh, Michelle Seymour from the RDBC offices, resident doctor's offices. Um, Michelle has a tremendous amount of bargaining history uh, from, HR, from RDBC and has been doing the detailed work in preparing for negotiations. She's a very valuable member of the team. And then uh, we have four members uh, or four resident doctors themselves that will be sitting on the negotiating team. So that makes up the seven. Those four resident doctors, uh, two of them are from the board of directors uh, and two of them are from the general membership. Um, those people were selected after they applied. It was a very lengthy application running into several pages that talked about what their uh, qualifications and experience relative to negotiating was. Um, and uh, right now, uh, there's a small team. I was one member and there were two people from the board, two resident doctors from the board that selected who that would be. And the board right now is in the process of Um, ratifying that selection. so And that's happening right right as we're speaking now. So it's going to go on for another day or two.
0: Okay. I mean, that sounds pretty good, but I just want to underline some of those because this is so important for us. We have Tony who's been doing labor negotiations for basically his whole career and has negotiated for other unions like longshoremen, uh, the ambulance drivers, and even airline and film industry unions. Okay, that's great. Then there's you. I remember asking you once how many negotiations you've been involved in and you said you didn't know. And I don't. <laughs> and that, that to me is a great sign because you've been involved in so many that you've lost count. Yes. Uh, and you used to work for HEABC so you understand the other side of the table. Yes, I, I've
1: been involved in healthcare for, I always hate saying this, but for about 25 years I was in healthcare administration so I understand the sector very deeply. Awesome.
0: Uh, Michelle, here at RDBC, I've had the chance to work with her. She works. She's great. And more importantly, she's had previous experience with direct HABC, RDBC negotiations. She's been there. She's done it. Right. And then for the residents who were picking, they pretty much had to go through a job application process, right? It was very similar to a job application. Yeah, they filled
1: out a big form, and then you guys had the chance to look at all of the applications. There were yes. many. Yes, there were. There right. Really good candidates and a really good. Uh, really good applications, and I'm very pleased with the people that have uh, that are coming up that we put forward to the board. Awesome.
0: So I mean, I'm happy to hear that we've picked a team that really sounds like you know the best it could be. Yes. Great. Okay. So my my anxiety is settled. So moving on, <laughs> we'll we'll call t- stipends be a top priority, and particularly weekend call and evening call. We hear lots of complaints about those.
1: Yes, we, we heard those complaints very clearly in the uh, survey that we had, and there's two, we're coming going to come at it from two different uh, perspectives, and I think a little bit of um, history and, and kind of context setting would help here. Uh, first of all, in terms of context setting, um, BC is trails the rest of the country in its call premiums. Um, uh, unfortunately, we're the we, whenever I say this, and, and uh, I'll talk more about where we are relative to the rest of Canada, I really exclude Quebec from that because they have a very very different system from us. Um, but uh, for us, it, it um, uh, we are the uh, at the bottom of the call stipends. Um, the other uh, the other piece of history that's a bit important is it used to be that every resident got paid four hundred dollars. Um, a month if they worked any call. And what we did last time in negotiations was we put that all into a pot, um, made some rules, and then paid out that pot. Um, This year, so when we look at it this year, there's two things that we need to do. One is we need to change how much gets paid out for every call shift, and that needs to be increased. second thing that we need to do is to increase when you get um, paid for calls. So if you come in on the weekends, and we heard about this Uh, as an example. Some people are coming in on the weekends, but it doesn't meet the definition of a call. Therefore, they're not getting paid. So we need to hit both of those. So Harry, can I vote on things? Absolutely. Um, Every time members complete a survey uh, or provide feedback to a program representative or or actually just even give us a phone call um, uh, during negotiations, that's a way that you provide feedback to us. Um, And essentially vote on things. Um, the second way is there's, there will be a, a formal vote at the end of negotiations. So once we've gone through negotiations and arrived at a tentative agreement, um, that then goes out to the membership, and that's uh, a requirement that the membership vote on that. Um, and so there will be both of those, As I'm sure, as we go through negotiations. We're going to be asking questions of the membership, and there's also going to be that formal step right at the end
0: i'm glad to hear we get to participate but i mean this comes up all the time what is the context for negotiations how did we get to the way we are with this contract
1: uh thank you that's jeff you know that's the probably the biggest question that we get and we get it consistently and and it's a comp- there's a complicated answer here so stay with me um in bc there's two things that make bc unique um, the first is that uh, there's a there's an organization called PSEC, and I'll explain that more in a, in a minute. And then the second one is um, we operate under an essential services dispute resolution process. So we'll talk about that. Um, so starting with PSEC, uh, PSEC stands for Public Sector Employers Council. It's a provincial body that oversees and controls the negotiations of all public sector agreements in B.C., And by the way, BC is the only only province in uh, Canada that has such an organization. Hmm. Um, uh, In all, PSEC oversees uh, more than 380,000 workers, and it's the mechanism that the BC government uses to govern and kind of take control of wage costs in the public sector. And they do this because ultimately they're responsible for uh, spending taxpayer money. And they they developed this mechanism to have some, some measure of control over uh, how much they're paying their workers. We, on the other hand, have been seeking uh, wage parity with other provinces for many years. The difficulty is that uh, the employer is bound by the PSEC mandate, and that limits the wage growth um, for us as well as everybody else. Now, the BC government's chosen not to offer substantial um, wage increases uh, to any one union group. What they have done um, instead is to be saying we're going to be giving the same wage increases to all unions. And so were they to give uh, RDBC more they'd also feel as though they needed to give more to teachers and to nurses and some of the other big groups in in BC. Um, Now the way that PSEC does this, and you may hear this terminology, is they set out mandates. Um, And an an example of that is in 2014, they had the economic stability mandate. That was a five-year mandate, uh, which allowed for a salary increase of just over 5%, uh, and then additional compensation based on how the BC economy performed. Um, residents have uh, received additional compensation under this mandate over and above that 5%. Um, This year, um, we hope to do better than we've done in the past. Um, There may be an appetite at the bargaining table to resolve some of the longstanding issues uh, related to pay and expenses, but we're going to have to see what happens when we get to the bargaining table and what position the employers take.
0: So just to kind of summarize, because there's a lot of information there, The provincial government creates a body called PSEC. PSEC then controls negotiations. It creates rules for negotiations. And the government says, oh, sorry, we have to play by PSEC's rules. It limits what we're able to achieve. That's absolutely right. Sounds kind of unfair, but I guess the government gets to make the rules. (laughs) Yes. Yes, unfortunately. All right, well, I guess moving on then, now that we understand that, It seems like we're bound a little. So what leverage do we really have in these negotiations?
1: So part of the answer uh, to that question is understanding the role of PSEC and its impact on all union negotiation in BC. Um, PSEC effectively sets the context that we bargain in. Um, But to answer the question of what leverage we have, the second thing that I mentioned earlier that makes BC unique uh, and different from other provinces, is that we have the option of an essential services strike. Not all provinces have this. In fact, there are some provinces where, where um, health care people cannot strike. Um, if we um, do not like the bargaining mandate as set out by PSAC, our option is to withdraw services. Um, other provinces have the option of going to binding arbitration to resolve bargaining dis- disputes. Unfortunately, the BC government does not allow arbitration for public sector contracts. So, RDBC's lead fridge is the same as other uh, BC public sector unions. We have the right to withdraw services. This is a complex step for RDBC to take. In a healthcare setting, there's a minimum level of service required to protect the public. As a result, there are many considerations for residents uh, before they would ever take this step. Um, naturally, we would consult heavily with the membership before we even consider taking this step.
0: Okay, so we can't go to arbitration, which worked really well for some other resident unions. Yes. We can do this essential services strike, which is, is kind of like a limited strike, yep. but that would mean withdrawing care from patients. Yep. And at the end of the day, we're really here to provide care for patients. That's why we got into medicine. So as a, as a group, we really have to think long and hard about whether that's something we want to
1: pursue. That's right. And it is that balance. And it's, again, something that we would um, be um, both taking to the membership and providing a lot of uh, information to the membership so that they can make a fair and balanced decision for themselves as to whether or not they want to go that route. Sounds good. So, Harry, what do we actually have the
0: power to change and what's program specific and can't change?
1: so again another great question uh jeff thanks the the collective agreement has always been just that it's collective it attempts to be a one-size-fits-all document um, which frankly doesn't work for a lot of scenarios Um, one area where this is most evident is scheduling Um, there are scheduling rules in the collective agreement however there's a number of programs that have variances in order to meet the needs of their particular program. For example, some programs have more flexibility in scheduling vacation than other programs, and you can see those variations across, um, across the residents. Um, we will be considering streamlining some of these provisions, but all the while, we're gonna have to respect the fact that there are these differences between different
0: programs. Okay, and what types of things can we do to help give RDBC more leverage? How can we as a resident group or as residents
1: get involved? Things that are high impact but low time. So um, the most important thing that we can do is is to respect uh, RDBC's values. And those values are respect, fairness, unity, and professionalism. So first of all, this means respecting the differences between programs while ensuring fairness for everyone. Um, It also means acting with professionalism for the efforts of your negotiating team, your council of program representative, uh, and the board, because all of those groups are doing the very best they can. Um, uh, since coming to RDBC, I've been impressed with how hard people work uh, in all of those uh, on all of those teams, and they really are trying to do their best. And so let's keep some professionalism around all of that. The next one is unity. Um, we absolutely have to remain united during. Negotiations and presenting a united front to the <coughs> to the employer gives us strength and allows the bargaining team to focus on negotiations as opposed to focusing on the inevitable um, disagreements that are going to come up between one program versus another. So unity is a very important uh, piece of it. Um, we also need your thoughts and input, as we've spoken about a couple of times already. Please respond to both your council of program representative questions when they come, come forward to you to ask those questions, and also to the negotiations surveys. Um, we can only create those solutions um, for issues that we know exist and based on the data that we collect. And we're here for you, and if we don't know about it, we simply can't fix it. Um, finally, it's important to have RDBC have a visible presence at events. So there's events that RDBC puts on um, that are more social events. That's a great way to learn uh, learn in, about your colleagues and meet some of them. But there's also um, more official events. These are announcements that the government puts on. And it's one of the things that uh, I think many residents need to kind of move up a little bit in their understanding of how uh, the environment that we live in. The more that we turn up at these government events, the more that we're seen. The more influence we are going to have, the government is interested in what we do, but we've got to be showing ourselves at those events.
0: Yeah, I think I think one thing I want to touch on here is just the concept of numbers. You mentioned there's 380,000 unionized workers in the province. Our union has 1,300 members. So if we don't present a strong, unified voice to the provincial government, they're just not going to hear us. So we can't spend time squabbling amongst ourselves, at least not publicly. Uh, we can certainly air out our differences, but that's what the council of program representatives, representatives is for. And then you talked about attending events. I was at uh, one of Minister Dix's, the health minister's events this weekend, and I noticed that every other major healthcare union had a presence. There were nurses there who went up to him, spoke to him, said, hi, I'm from the nurses' union, or hi, I'm from the janitorial staff's union. And I think that's something we need to start thinking about doing.
1: Yeah, it's very important. Um, and... The um, you know I've been bringing to many people in RDBC the importance around doing all of that. Um, trust me, um, it's noticed when either when even three or four residents turn up, and it's not a huge time commitment. Um, you know these these uh, events because they're for politicians. They you know the news media all gathers, and if they say it's going to start at twelve fifteen, it is twelve fifteen when they start. Um, and they rarely go more than 30 minutes. It's just not that kind of an event. What the politicians are looking for is uh, a couple of good sound bites to run on the TV, and they're going to keep these things short. But there's a big impact if we can get residents out to those.
0: Right, and even if you don't have 30 minutes to go to an event, it takes two minutes to answer a survey, and that gives us lots of ammunition as well. Absolutely. Okay, so with all that in mind, are we going to be more prepared than last time? Uh,
1: we already are
0: more prepared than last
1: uh, and in fairness to what was happening throughout BC, and RDBC was part of it, was there was almost continual negotiations going on prior to 2014. Every time you'd finish one round of negotiations, you'd be step you know, a couple of months break, you'd be stepping into the next set of negotiations. Uh, and part of the reason why there was such a long contract this time was everybody needed to kind of take a step back and have a look at what was working and what wasn't. And we've had that opportunity of really understanding what works and what isn't. Um, we have been preparing for these negotiations um, really heavily since the spring. Um, we sent out the survey starting in the spring and then we hired a law student uh, to work with us over the summer. so she started in the late spring and then went all the way through the summer and she was there to gather uh, background information for bargaining proposals and in some cases to actually write bargaining proposals. So we're in a tremendous spot now. Um, The other thing is um, we've got this, and we spoke earlier about this, but we've got a fantastic bargaining team. That's a big help as well.
0: I'm really glad to hear we're going to be prepared. And one thing that comes up a lot is how are we going to be transparent throughout this process?
1: So we are going to do the absolute best we can in terms of communicating our progress at the bargaining table. Um, we'll be doing that uh, a couple of different ways. Um, we'll be doing it uh, primarily through um, the communications director and the communications channels we have, so whether it's social media or emails or uh, you know, all of the sources of uh, or avenues of information distribution that we have. Uh, and as well, we're going to be using the Council of Program Representatives to get information. Um, the way that negotiations work is um, they usually start off reasonably slowly. So there's not much to report in the first few days of uh, bargaining. Um, but then as things start to get towards the end, they start to move at a much more rapid pace. And it's at that point that Um, we will start to try to get more information out. But recognize that, you know, when you're bargaining until late into the night, sometimes it's not possible to really be getting out full pieces of information. So we're going to do our
0: best. All right. So you did mention the communications director there, which is me. So always feel free to ask me questions. And today, this is hopefully the first of many negotiations updates. So this is one part of our plan to make sure everything's transparent. Yes, All right, so in summary, we talked about a lot of things. We talked about when the negotiations are are occurring, talked about who's involved, what the negotiation environment is, what the membership's priorities are, how RDBC is well-prepared for negotiations, and how individual members
1: can help make sure this is a success. Anything else to add? Yeah, Jeff, absolutely. There's one thing more that I wanted to emphasize. Um, We've got a great team in place, Um, we've got a lot of preparation that's been done. But based on my experience in uh, all the negotiations I've done, no matter how well prepared you are at the front end, there's always going to be something that you need more information about. And so please, uh, to the membership, when we reach out to you, either through the program representatives or the membership surveys, please fill them out because we need that information and we need it from you.
0: All right. Well, Harry, thank you very much for your time. We'll be seeing you soon on Negotiations
1: Update number two, whenever that comes up. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks.
0: So thank you, Harry, for taking the time. I hope you guys learned a lot from that Negotiations Update. As I said, we'll be having many throughout the year. So that pretty much concludes this episode of the Pulse podcast. I probably should take some time to explain why we released no podcasts over the summer. The answer's pretty simple. I was busy playing beach volleyball, but uh, when the rain starts in Vancouver, you'll find me inside recording podcasts, so there'll be more to come in the future. Throughout the summer, we had the chance to meet lots of different residents from different resident groups, and we met a group of residents that have started another podcast called the Roundtable Podcast. Check it out. It's hosted online by Healthy Debate. Each week, physicians from around the world break down the latest research from the major medical journals, bringing the bottom line to listeners. The lively team of hosts makes keeping up-to-date enjoyable and accessible. You can find them by searching The Rounds Table on iTunes or on their host website at healthydebate.ca slash roundstable. Yeah, it's a great podcast. I hope you have a chance to give it a listen. Beyond that, in terms of RDBC updates, we have our Fright Night Social, and that is taking place on wednesday october the 24th at the PNE grounds if you have a chance to stop by highly recommend i think it'll be a lot of fun i definitely plan on being there Uh, i'm not one for haunted houses so if you want to see a grown man scream (laughs) i will be there screaming (laughs) (laughs) so we hope to see you there and as harry mentioned in this episode it's really important that we get as many residents as possible out to our social events and our informational events as we enter negotiations so thanks again for listening We'll catch you again soon. Bye for now.